Hello and welcome to our daily devotional podcast. Today we continue with Acts chapter 5. Yesterday we talked about the two manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that of boldness and that of compassion. Today I want to talk about two more uh, qualities or manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I talk about the manifestations deliberately. We often think of manifestation of the Spirit as in power and, and miracles and signs and wonders. But you know the most powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit is a change in our lives. Which is why I call these qualities the manifestation of the Holy Spirit because they don't come to us naturally. Yesterday when we talked about boldness, we contrasted that with Peter's timidity, Peter's fear of people. And yet when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, something deep changed in him and the power of the Spirit manifested in his life, making him bold. Likewise, Peter was self-seeking as were all the other disciples. They wanted, John for example, wanted to be at the right hand or the left hand of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returned in glory. And yet we see a community then that counted nothing as their own but, but shared whatever they had. No longer was John self-centered or self-seeking. It was the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that changed him. Today we want to talk about two other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The first is integrity and the second is humility. Let's now read from Acts chapter 5. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. But allow us as we see your truths to obey your truths, to step up and take action about what you reveal to us, that we may not be hearers only, but let us also be doers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. 
None of the rest dared join them, but the Lord held them in high esteem. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them out on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest stood up, rose up, and all who were with him, and filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, stood up, rose up on the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called on the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was always puzzled and more than puzzled, I was very perplexed by this story of Ananias and Sapphira. Why was God so draconian? I mean, they lied, but don't we all, all the time? In fact, 
when we look at Christianity these days, we are no different from anyone else. We lie all the time. You don't believe me? Look at what's happening among the evangelicals in America. That as long as they get what they want, they would go behind a liar, they would support a liar, and they wouldn't care. Because it seems as though these days, truth is simply what we say and how we convince you. So why was God so draconian? Why did these two, this couple who simply lied about what they had, struck down? Well, let's look at some of, some of the truths first. The first truth is that our possessions remain our own. They do not belong to anyone else but us. In verse 4, Peter said to Ananias, While it remained sold, unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So the property is not something at stake. It wasn't as though this had become a communist state where everyone was required to give, to sell everything they had and to give all they had to a common pool. This wasn't it. Peter was simply saying, what is yours, is yours. There is nothing wrong in keeping what you have. And yet, we read earlier on in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, that one of the works of the Holy Spirit was that it transformed people to share what they had. Yes, it is true. The Holy Spirit transformed the believers to share what they had. It meant that the people would be looked after, that if one was poor, that person, that family would be cared for. But it was not a communist state. It was not a requirement that people surrender all they had and place it in a common pool. There was no such a requirement at all, even in that community. It simply meant that when a Christian saw a brother or a sister or family in need, they would take what was theirs and they would give what they had, what they share, what they had with the poor family. There was no communist state. It was a sheer act of compassion and generosity. So the sin was not in keeping one's possession. Where then was the sin? And Ananias and Sapphira clearly wanted to give an impression to the community that just like Barnabas who had sold his field and placed the money, placed the proceeds at Peter's feet, Ananias and Sapphira wanted people to admire them the same way. They wanted people to think of them as generous and compassionate, just like Barnabas. But the difference was that they were not prepared to do so. While they wanted a reputation for doing that, they were not prepared to really do it. And this brings us to the question of integrity. The word integrity comes from a further root word, integrated. To be integrated means to be together, to be one part. That one is not a divided being, but one is simply a unit, integrated unit. Here we see Ananias and Sapphira no longer as an integrated unit, but as two personalities. One personality wanting to impress others, wanting people to think of them as generous and compassionate. But another entity that was not prepared to be generous and compassionate, but rather would keep all the possessions to themselves. Integrity 
was not present in Ananias and Sapphira, and that was the problem. They were like split personalities, wanting people to believe that they were one thing, but themselves wanting to be another thing. And how often that is true of us Christians. Often we want to project. These days we think more of projection of our image than the reality in our hearts. It was quite ironic when Peter confronted Ananias and asked him, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? The deed was done inside the heart, in the inner being of a person. But what was wrong was that Ananias was looking more at the image, the external of what people would think of him, and was not even concerned about what really was in his heart. Unfortunately, this is true of many of us, of myself, of many of us who are Christians, especially Christian leaders. We want to project a good image of ourselves, and often the first thing that comes to our mind is, what will people think of me? Before we think, what am I really? When we do an act, when we make a mistake, our first concern is, who saw it? What can I explain? How can I explain away this action? What can I tell them that will convince them that what I did was not wrong or that I did not do the wrong thing? Rather than ask ourselves in our hearts, did I do this? Did I intend to do this? Was I wrong in doing this? Can God change me? You see, the Holy Spirit cannot manifest Himself in us if we are not concerned about what's inside our hearts and only concerned about what people see and the impressions that we have. Because if we live externally, only interested in how people are impressed with us or how people believe us or how people accept or excuse our excuses, only about what people think and see of us, then what's inside remains untouched. And the Word of God cannot come in to touch us. And that's a huge problem. You see, many of us forget that the Bible is like a mirror to our soul. But it's not just a mirror, it's a contrast to our souls. What we see as teachings of God must then come into our hearts, be compared or in contrasted with what's in our hearts. If our hearts do not resonate with what the Bible teaches, what we should do then is to come to God and say, God, change my heart. God, transform me that my heart will be like the, the heart that you desire, like the people whom you describe to us. Let my heart reflect that which you show me in your word. But instead, what we do is we block off our own insights of our hearts and we then project ourselves as what the Bible says we should be. And so outwardly then, if the Bible says you must love your wives, we hold hands and lovingly kiss our wives in public or show affection to our wives in public. But behind all that, we do not love our wives at all then we have a problem. We have a problem of a loss of integrity. On the one hand, we want to project ourselves as something. On the other hand, we are willing to live, to change, to be something else. You know, it's so true in our lives now that Christians are split personalities. We give, we project an image 
of what the Bible says or what we think the Bible says we ought to be good, humble, honest people. And in church then we are such lovely, wonderful, loving people. But behind the scenes, when others do not see us, in our quietness or in our homes, or even in our workplaces, we are a different person altogether, which means then that our heart is different from what from what our image is. And that creates a huge problem. We lose integrity. We are split personalities. Unless we are focused more on our hearts and less on the image that we project, we will not be an integrated person. And the Holy Spirit cannot then work to transform us. It is my prayer then that we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to say, God, look into my heart, not help me clean up my act before others. It is hypocrisy when we are one person inside and another person outside. Which is why often it is not good that we just listen to sermons, rather observe the life, observe deeply each person's life. Are we integrated people? But there is a problem, a greater problem as well. Because unless we are integrated people, unless we are people who live out, truly live out the Word of God, unless we are honest people, how can the Gospel be believed? The Gospel is premised on truth. All the promises, whether Christ, the premise that Christ rose from the dead, is a question of truth or falsehood. Did Christ really raise from the dead, or were these plain lies of the disciples, as the Jews proclaimed that they had the disciples, the Jews claimed that the disciples had stolen Jesus' body and then come out with a lie that Jesus had been raised from the dead? How then will the world believe that Jesus rose from the dead? unless the Christians, the disciples of Jesus, are known and always to have integrity and truth. In today's Christianity, where we tell all sorts of lies in very convincing ways and stonewall and just gaslight and just keep insisting on our version of the story, no matter how foolish it is, how it goes against all evidence, who will ever believe that Jesus is Lord when we open our mouths to say it? Because when we, are, when we are blatant liars and lie to the face of truth, even against all evidence of truth, who then will believe us when we say Jesus rose from the dead or Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords? When we have a reputation to be bold-faced liars. Truth and integrity are essential in the Christian community. Further, what Ananias and Sapphira did then was to, was to destroy trust within the Christian community. If one could not be trusted to be telling the truth, there cannot be a community. A community is always based on trust. If you say something, I must believe you, and therefore we will live well together. But if you are not known to be one who tells the truth, 
but who creates images and impressions that are not reflective of what's inside yourself, then how can there be trust in a community? How then can there be a community at all? That Ananias and Sapphira had lied was a very serious threat to the whole of Christianity, first to the community, to the integrity of the person, to the believability of the gospel itself. And God had to do something very drastic. He had to strike Ananias and Sapphira dead. We talk of grace and God is very gracious. Jesus died for our sins. That was how seriously God takes forgiveness of sins. But this act of deceit, of duplicity, made Christianity untenable. And God had to strike down both Ananias and Sapphira. And it says at the end of that story in verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Great fear. May we too have great fear even though we do not see another lying person, lying Christian struck dead. May we be so filled with fear of lying that we will come before God on our knees and say, God, let there be integrity in my life. Let my yes be yes and my no be no and stop making me, stop allowing me and stop me from telling lies, of explaining my wrong in various ways and convincing people. Stop me, God, from creating an image that is different from who I really am. I pray that each of us will be so filled with fear. I pray that I will be so filled with fear because lying has become second nature to many of us. Looking at externals has become second nature to many of us. And we need to come back to the basics, that there be integrity in our lives, that we be integrated as one, our inside and our outside be as one. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit then is integrity. Related to that is humility. The dictionary ex definition of humility is it is the quality, humility is the quality of having a modest or low um, regard, modest or low view of one's importance. The quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. I don't fully agree with this definition. I think that rather it is not just a modest or low view of one's importance, but rather it is an honest view, an accurate view of one's importance. Humility is the quality of having an honest and an accurate view of one's importance. We see this in the next story. Right after Ananias and Sapphira had been struck dead, in verse 12, it continues, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done. People were so, so healed, so many people were healed, that people from all over the place brought their sick in cots, in mats, and just laid them on the floor before Peter, so that not only would, not just that Peter's, Peter would see them and heal them, but that Peter's shadow might cover them and they would be healed. Imagine the amount of power that Peter possessed. This power would have driven him crazy, would have driven me crazy. 
I mean, imagine I walk past someone and the person is healed. I, I open my mouth and someone else is ministered to. I mean, what power there was. And we have seen so many people fallen because of their power. Many pastors, many great men of God have fallen because they were unable to hold that power with humility, with the right view of their self-importance. With that much power, Peter would easily have been tempted to claim, to claim himself God himself, would have been so filled with pride that he would not be able to take it. But another manifestation of the Holy Spirit is humility. Humility to have the right view, the accurate view of one's importance. Peter was a man so filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit. And we see the things that the Spirit did to Peter. I mean, the miracle. Peter and the apostles were then jailed for preaching. And as they were sitting in jail, an angel came and opened the door. I mean, can you imagine that? An angel walked in and opened the door and set them out. But the angel also had a perverse sense of humor. Rather than telling them to run and go somewhere else, told them, go back to the temple where you were arrested. Go to that temple and preach again. It was really hilarious that these men who had been arrested and placed in prison would now be taken out of prison not to leave the place, but to go back to the prison and preach again. How defiant could the Holy Spirit be? I wonder whether the Holy Spirit was trying to convince the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, or whether the Holy Spirit was teaching the apostles a powerful lesson, that even as the Spirit spoke to them and told them to go back and preach, the disciples obediently went and preached as the Holy Spirit had told them to. And then the chief priests, of course, uh, exercised their power and their importance and told and flogged these apostles, telling them never to do it again. Let's contrast the sense of importance of the apostles and the high priest. The high priest having the high positions thought that they were all powerful, thought that they could, they could flog the apostles and command them to stop what they were doing. They thought that at the pinnacle of the careers, at the pinnacle of their spiritual lives, they had all power. How foolish could it be that after they had discovered that these apostles had walked out of prison with the guards still standing, with the gates locked, they didn't believe that God had done it to them? After they had heard, seen the boldness of these uneducated apostles, preaching and healing and doing mighty works, and standing in the temple after being arrested and locked up. And they hadn't the faintest idea that it all came from God. You see, the reason why they arrested the apostles was not just that the apostles had spoken, but they had seen the miracles that the apostles had done and that thousands upon thousands of people had flocked to these apostles to be healed and each one who came were healed even by the shadow of the apostles and they thought nothing of that they were not awed by that but they thought that they were still the most important people on earth they could command the apostles to stop preaching and to add to that flog them 
and send them off? You see, the problem with the sense of importance, these men could not see how powerless, how unimportant they were. God was showing them a, a lesson that, hey, you guys are no match for me. You can imprison my servants, but I'll just take them out and send them back. You are no match for me, young men, old men. And yet these high priests could not see it. They were overcome by their own sense of importance. But we contrast that with the apostles. After the apostles had been flogged, they went out. And this most famous passage, then they left, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonour for the name. Nobody wants to suffer dishonour. Dishonour is to be dishonoured, is to be shamed, is to be looked down upon, is to be treated with contempt. The apostles were treated with contempt by the most religious of people. These were the authorities of God. And the authorities of God had dishonoured the apostles. It would have been a terrible shame, something to be avoided by anyone else. But the apostles counted themselves worthy to suffer dishonour. They counted themselves as worthy, they celebrated, they rejoiced, even when they suffered a loss of faith. Because they saw that they were simply the servants of the Most High God, that with all his power, Peter was nothing compared to the Most High God, that he was just a servant, a lowly servant, and to suffer in indignity, to suffer dishonour for such a great king was itself an honour. Peter did not have in his head any of the self-importance that many of us would have gotten. He saw himself simply as a beloved child, as a vessel of his Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that anything that he would go through, any dishonour, any injustice he would go through, was a great honour for him, because it was for the sake of his great and mighty Lord. May this also be for us. A realisation that suffering for Christ, suffering in dignity for Christ, paying the price for our service for the Lord, is nothing but an honour. And that all of these things that we may, that God may give to us, the ability to work miracles, the ability to minister to people, and all these God will work through us, are nothing for us to feel proud about, but rather that we would just be honoured, that God would look on us, and use us for whatever He wills, the powerful and the unjust, the miraculous and the dishonourable. Not our acts being dishonourable, but that we be dishonoured by others. That we may see ourselves simply as people honoured by God, because He wants to use us for His purpose.
may the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in integrity and in humility be ours as well. Let us pray. Father, we are when we look at your word and the work that you did to the apostles and to the believers, and then we look at our own hearts, we're so far from this, Lord, so far. For we have people who have be, we are people who have become unaware of who what our inner lives are like. We are not integrated people, Lord. We have two personalities at least. One, the persona that we that we show to the world. Another, the true us that is dying inside us. Father, help us to see our true self in the light of your word. Help us to stop seeing the image that we want to project and how that may reflect your word. For that is irrelevant altogether. But God, help us to see our inner self and what we are like. And then to bring that sick, small, broken inner self before you. And let your Holy Spirit, the power of your Holy Spirit, transform us, manifest himself in our lives. Father, we ask too that you give us an accurate esteem of our own importance. Help us not to be like the Sadducees and the chief priests who think, who are so filled with their self-importance, that they were foolish in the face of what you were doing. But rather, Lord, let us see ourselves as your lowly and humble servants and yet your beloved children, that we might find even washing the feet of others an honour, suffering dishonour as an honour because you have called us to it. Help us then, Lord, to have an accurate picture of our own, of our importance and where we are in your eyes. And Father, truly we may be your faithful servants, grateful for every command, every directive, every direction that you give to us, feeling honoured that you will even look upon us and use us for yourself. Change our hearts, Lord, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, have a blessed day and goodbye.